recording now. Recording. Okay. Um, hello, everyone, and welcome to A Woman's Place. Today, you are listening to a second recording of this conversation, which is a very nice conversation <laughs> the first time around, but we had some technical issues. So um, I'm, I'm joined today by um, Leticia from uh, WWW, and we're going to talk about um, the music in industry and um, women in the music industry, basically. Um, Leticia, you would like to uh, introduce yourself and thank you again for coming along and, um, and talking to me for a second time. <laughs> thank you for having me. Um, my name is Leticia, so I'm a booking agent and artist manager. I've um, been working in music now for upwards of 10 years. And a few years ago, I started um, a group called WWW. Um, uh, when I moved back to Ireland after living in London for almost a decade and uh, the purpose of the group really was um, to advocate for women and I mean all gender minorities um, working in, within the music industry in whatever capacity um, and to kind of create a more community and a strength in numbers um, in terms of getting places that are otherwise a bit more difficult to reach for various reasons. Um, so, and I have um, a sister radio show that goes along with it, um, which gives up the hour every month to um, different uh, people who would otherwise not get a shot on radio. Mm -hmm. And if anyone had um, checked me out, I was proud. That's how I know Leticia, because I was. Uh, did the hour of uh, WWW and it was um, of protest songs and stuff, which I think um, if you if that offer is still going, I definitely would love to do a, another absolutely one. Absolutely. Yeah. Love to have you back. The first one went down really well. I got lots of messages about it. Um, and I think there's a I think combining and I mean, there's no pressure for people to do. I, I kind of say to people, the hour is yours. Do what you want with mm -hmm. it. I don't have any expectations whatsoever. Uh, and I mean that in the best sense possible. Um, but I think having talk and sort of talking about the background to music, particularly when it has a, a political context, um, is always very interesting. And particularly mm -hmm. for DDR, which is very much um, a politically implicated station, if you want. Um, so since literally when we got off the phone the last day, um the phone but when we got off the yeah we'll just continue with the word phone if you're yeah. born before like 2000 maybe you wouldn't get that but um <laughs> but anyway off the app we I literally um saw this article on the Irish Times like white male artists dominate Irish charts and radio because Imelda May I think it was she was the first uh she was uh, she topped the Irish um singles charts right um uh, only a couple of weeks ago so and that was the first in a really long time and I guess that sets up a kind of like a uh it's a perfect picture or snapshot of um what we want to talk about in this in this conversation which is I want to ask you uh what are what is the general picture of the music industry in in relation to gender and um and minority people um Look, some, I mean, there's obviously progress being made over the years. We can't deny that. Um, I am a big believer that, um, 
yes, we should recognize the progress. But I think most importantly, what we need to do when it comes to equality, whether it's with relation to gender or ethnicity or ability, um, you have to look at it more as a glass half empty situation because mm -hmm. it's for me, at least uh, in my experience of all of this, um, there's always, it's not like, there's not like a set thing to do and then you tick that box and then it's done. Like mm -hmm. it's a continuous effort to ensure um, the most level playing field possible for people, not just within music, but in general. Um, so I think in terms, I think my overriding feeling right now, if we're gonna talk about the present moment, uh, and working and sort of seeing how things are emerging post pandemic, you know, things are starting to move again. Um, my feeling is not the most positive feeling. I mm. feel like we are in a place where, although we've had this time to reflect and think about what we can do better, particularly in music, which has suffered so really, you know, badly, disproportionately, um, compared to some other industries because there was such a heavy reliance on live um, for income streams for artists. Um, you know, we've, we've had to really think about how do we rebuild this in a way that's more sustainable, that doesn't place its eggs all in one basket, and that also includes more people um, and that is more generally more fair, you know, in every sphere, even in terms of pay, uh, you know, ev everything you can think of. Um, I personally am of the mind frame that um, whoever is now starting up um, is somebody who has money, who has maybe not been mm. affected as badly um, as some other people um, uh, by the pandemic. And as it's hard, I don't want to generalize, but yeah. my general feeling is that we're not only going back to what we were doing before, but even worse yeah. um, and by that I mean um, what th there's obviously some exceptions here but my general feeling is that people are coming and they are wanting to focus very heavily on headliners very heavily on like a status quo um, and and I understand from one perspective that obviously there's a big risk aversion going on because you know there has been money lost everywhere but to say that that has been an even loss, it would be a complete lie. There are people who have lost a lot more than others. Uh, and it's not a competition, but it's important to really see that in the context of how we come back, how do we rebuild? And so far, what I'm seeing is just hell for leather into an ultra capitalist structure again, mm. um, which continues to exclude um, and also as I said to you in our last conversation, the idea, which was already there before, but it seems to be even more present, the idea that the rebuilding of our scenes requires for somebody not to be paid, for somebody to mm -hmm. work for free, seems to be even more prevalent now. Um, so for me, where it's at is not the best place, if I'm totally honest. This if is we're thinking, talking about it from an artist's perspective, at least. Yeah, this is this is this is interesting that you bring that up because I'm going to have a conversation with um, uh, someone who's involved with socialist politics in a couple of weeks, mm -hmm. and um, and I I pay attention uh, to a lot of political conversation that goes on online, 
And, you know, one of the very exciting things that was happening at the beginning of the pandemic was like, oh, this is the last, like, this is capitalism in decline. Mm-hmm. Um, and capitalism in decline um, kind of gives you this picture that capitalism in decline equals weaker. But I don't believe that capitalism in decline necessarily means that it's weaker. It's, it means that it's actually. Um, it's even more toxic. Yeah. Yeah. Like fascism yeah. is capitalism under threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets. Uh, and so what is happening in because, you know, through this podcast, as, as I mentioned you before, we, we look at one aspect of one aspect of society and 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 and. Uh, you know tease it out and let it let it tell us what it's saying about the rest of society because obviously it is all connected so the same process can be seen um repeated in like the the big guys are getting stronger and they're monopolizing and the small guys are getting smaller or disappearing and that is so interesting you say and how do you how how are you seeing that like because obviously I, I I'm not part of mm-hmm. the music scene so are you saying that like you you see that because of new bookings that are coming out or new conversations yeah, yeah. so it's exactly how you described it there before about the bigger guys kind of consolidating and then anything below that disappearing or 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 having even less power than they had before mm. um so if you take, for example, this won't win me any favors in my job, but I kind of am at a stage where I don't care anymore. <laughs> um, but if you look at a big promoter like Live Nation, for example, my understanding now I work, I don't work in mainstream music. I work in electronic music. I work in something relatively niche, I would say, um, but very culturally important in my opinion. Um, so my relative power, uh, bargaining power outside of when we have a headlining act is small compared to like a very big in you know uh, booking agency mm-hmm. um you know we're an independent booking agency um and so what you're seeing happen is you've got really really big players obviously being able to come back first such as live nation or aeg or one of those people and they're able to set terms that are not only uh completely unfair but unmovable in a sense there's not really a whole lot we can do about it so if you like so as as an agency where we've always been even before this um of the of the kind of view that um there should be a fairness in how offers are worked out for artists fair to everybody involved um so that nobody is out of pocket essentially um and our approach with this was the same we said right we need to share the risk so obviously a promoter has a certain number of risks, particularly so I can't deny that a big promoter like Live Nation, obviously massive festivals usually equals massive overheads. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you have a situation where they're saying if the this is not Live Nation in particular that are saying this, but I'm just giving you an example uh, to mm-hmm. sort of illustrate. But a lot of big promoters will be saying if the event is cancelled and, um, you know, all you know we take everything back you know there, there's you know we can't pay the fee to the agency and um, we can't pay any fee to the artist um and okay in one sense that makes sense right but mm-hmm. from my perspective as an agent for example i'm being told 
we want you to still do the work, but we won't pay you for it if our event goes ahead. So it's kind of like saying, right, um, getting a graphic designer in to help redesign your website ahead of the festival and saying to them, do that work there. But if the festival goes ahead, we won't pay you. Wait, it's if the, the festival thing. goes ahead or doesn't go ahead? Doesn't go ahead, sorry. Right. Doesn't yeah, go yeah. ahead. We won't pay you. So I, and it's a scary road to be going down, right? Mm-hmm. Because for an independent agency like ours, that's, uh, we ha- that's the only place we can get income is, 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 is by charging for our work. You know, like yeah. I guess there's no other magic, you know, area that it comes from. And obviously we've had a, an over a year now of literally virtually zero income um, and no state help or a very minuscule state help that didn't really do anything. Um, and that's the same for a lot of independent agencies. And then on the artist side, the artist has also had a year of zero income. Um, yet they are being, their names are there selling tickets, you know? So yeah. it's complicated. Don't get me wrong, it's complicated. <laughs> it's much more nuanced than that. But I'm, what I'm trying to explain is that there is a complete imbalance um, of power, essentially. Um, And not a lot that a lot of people can do unless you're very much at the top. So what that means is you're pushing. You you, you have a situation where, first of all, um, there's very little, what do you say, like um, bargaining power on the side of the artist or if the artist has an agent on, on, you know, on on their side. Mm -hmm. Um, And also in terms of what the landscape of the scene looks like. You know, the more sort of smaller, middle-sized, smaller people, you know, exit because they can't, you know, they've lost too much. They, they don't have the money to rebuild. The more space is left there for bigger players to take up more, yeah. more of that space, you know. Yeah. And yeah. to me, that's not a good thing for a, yeah. a, for a balanced ecosystem. Um, it, and it encourages inequality. That's like breeding ground for inequality. Um and a breeding ground to kind of keep propping up the status quo. So I'm only going on what I'm seeing now. There's obviously some great people out there that are doing really good things, um, but I'm, I'm afraid of what's happening with the bigger players um, and what kind of uh, atmosphere we're, we're in right now. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, because I think, I think it was... Um... I was Adam Curtis documentaries that I get, get, get this from. I read so much and I watch so many things, to be honest, I never know where my information <laughs> comes from, but I'm just like, I'm going to say it's this. I believe it was yeah. Adam Curtis, but Adam, he was talking about uncertainty and certainty. And mm-hmm. I, we, we spoke a little bit about this um, last time as well, mm-hmm. that the, um, he, so in his documentaries, he was like, people we are obsessed and neoliberal societies and capitalist societies are obsessed with certainty, but neoliberal more so, more so because it's like with certainty comes, you know, the ability to predict and obviously to make profit and people when they feel, you know, secure, they will go out and spend more. So that's why you have in, um, you know, in the financial world and economics, you have the global um, uncertainty index. It's literally called that where they measure uncertainty in a society. And that is uncertainty is directly correlated to spending habits. Mm -hmm. So it's like, 
it's interesting how the music industry is also doing that in some ways that it's creating, you know, we spoke about this where um, the, the listeners and the people who are going to think they want to be able to recognize what they're going to hear. They want to, um, they are comforted by it. It's a comfort blanket. And then also it's comfortable for the, the, the people who are putting on the shows because they know, Oh, we know that they'll like this. Therefore, you know, it's just, it's, it's interesting how that culturally is, or not even culturally, but so, uh, socio mentally, is that a word? Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. an aspect of it as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, like, as I always say, none of this happens in a vacuum, you know, it's, um, mm-hmm. it's part of a much bigger picture. Um, but I guess right now, um, I think a lot of us had high hopes that there would be room for change, room for conversation as well, you know, like, um, and so far that's been quite minimal. Um, and um, if it's been happening, it's been pretty exceptional um, to the rule. And I guess, you know, I just, I'm just concerned that um, we're going down a road that is going to limit what we have as an offering culturally and and the knock-on effect of that is that all of the people that were already struggling to get in will struggle even more or not get in at all, you know? On Twitter this morning and um, I was looking through it and for some reason I got quite angry about it, as you do when you're on Twitter. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I, what popped into my head was just like, what, like the, the, the take the structure like taking on capitalist structure within mm-hmm. the music industry uh, to what extent can artists themselves subvert this hierarchy when they are participating mm-hmm. in it in, in, in like even when it comes to to gigs and like what can artists what do you think as as artists mm-hmm. that like when they are participating in this which I know that there. I know that artists have to to learn earn a living, mm-hmm. but is there any, is there anything to be done on an artist level when it comes mm-hmm. to like, I don't know, organizing their shows or, mm-hmm. I um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think on an artist level it's very difficult, and I think it's difficult for any one group really to try and uh, make a big dent in this. Mm-hmm. I suppose from an artist perspective, as you say. Um, it really depends on what level the artist is at. I think artists who have a higher profile have more of an opportunity to actually influence and do something um, because obviously there's less risk involved for them in terms of losing income. Now, that doesn't mean there's no risk, don't get me wrong. And it obviously depends on, you know, things like gender and ethnicity will affect that, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly, um, like I'll give you a good example. Um, A few years ago, I had an artist playing this really big festival and uh, there sort of a story came out that the ticketing agent for the festival, the head of that ticketing agent was a donor to lots of right wing groups and a Trump donor and blah, blah, blah. And um, of course, you know, like I say, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not trying to be blasé about it. But I'm <laughs> yeah, just like, yeah, yeah. of course, etc. Like, <laughs> I could prove my point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, the artist that I had playing that festival 
was very low in the billing, a new artist relative to all the other artists that were playing, uh, a queer woman. And I got an email from a journalist asking me, would she go on the record to explain why she's going ahead to play at the festival, um, blah, blah, blah. And he thinks she's an amazing artist and doesn't understand why she's playing. And I, I, I was very angry about that because mm-hmm. I was like, why are you coming to this person? Why are you coming to a person who has no influence here and who has no structural power here? Mm-hmm. Go to your headliner. Go to the person who's on the top of the bill who can actually do something and say something without being reprimanded, whether that's financially or, you know, socially or, you know, whatever else it is. Now, I'm not saying that she she couldn't have said anything or done anything, but uh, I just think it's, you know, it's important to think about this um, from a very even logical perspective. Um, so, but it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a, do people who ask those kind of questions, are they, mm-hmm. are they, are they illiterate when it comes to socioeconomic issues? Well, it would seem so, you know, if, if that's, if they're coming without really thinking about what that really means, that it's not just one person on a lineup. You know, like I think, um, you know, the idea, like I'm just using this as an example, but the idea of pulling out of a lineup because of um, any, and something like that, for example, obviously in an ideal world, that would be what everybody would do as a matter of principle. But it's much more complicated than that. Yeah. You know, like you, you have people who is literally the difference between them making rent and not making rent, you know, mm-hmm. so I would rather, instead of looking at a reactive approach, more look at a proactive approach. Um, so, for example, um, as we've spoken about before, I think artists, what they can do now is join a union, for example. Mm-hmm. Joining yeah. a union and having collective power is what I believe to be one of the only tangible solutions that we have in front of us right now. For sure. Yeah. Um, and community, I think, is incredibly important. So. I think uh, collective bargaining is a much better approach and um, a unions, uh, you know, they tend to have working groups that, you know, proactively work on issues that they foresee being a problem. You know, they don't just wait for something bad to happen. They also obviously get involved in situations like that. But what I'm saying is that a union is much more than just somebody who turns up in a negotiation, you know, like there's yeah. a lot more that goes on within that. And I think, that's a place where you can actively try and get some power back. Um, I, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, there's situations where I think it's just not, um, you know, conscionable, I guess, to be involved in certain things. But I think it's very difficult to give you a general answer about that because it really, really depends on who you're talking about. I think if you're, um, you know, if we look at radio and how you were talking about that um, article about, white men dominating the charts well there's white men in those charts who I'm sure have gained a certain level of um, notoriety and financial stability who could be people who could be at the forefront of helping to um, combat some of the some of the problems that are creating inequality you know that that they would be it would be uncomfortable for them don't get me wrong but they in my opinion we would be the ones who stand the least 
to lose in doing so um yeah and and here we we have pulled back into the loop the that 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 feeds this inequality as well because the people who are at the top here that you're talking about are from certain socioeconomic backgrounds i.e better off male Mm -hmm. and white so Mm -hmm. why would they number one understand or care about Mm -hmm. someone at the very bottom of that ring you know it becomes a it becomes like it's it's like yes those people can advocate for us but those are the same same people um no offense to all straight white men out there (laughs) but like (laughs) um you know you're getting you're getting like someone like that is is you know they're 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 successful because they're talented sure Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. um the identification with like the like the the barriers that have been put in your way you don't have experience of that you may you may assume that your experience is the same as other people's experience because Mm -hmm. it's like it's like believing in ghosts if you've never seen them um but I wanted to ask Mm. you um yeah yeah you know like I mean I know what you mean but I also think like at some point all you have to do is sit down and listen to someone explain to you their experience like it's not difficult to find out you know like the information is out there but like I'm not saying that those people should lead it but I think for sure like you know I think one of the big problems is, is as you say what 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 like why would that person be thinking about that other person you know like for all those reasons that you've described but I think that a part of the reason why that question is even a question is because there's such an individualization within music and within society as well Mm -hmm. and if we start to move towards a more collective interdependent view of what we're doing as in everything we do relies on everything else that happens you know and that it's all connected and all an ecosystem just like nature or whatever like maybe that's not like the best way to describe it but if you every action that we have has an impact on everything else that's existing within that system Mm -hmm. if we look at it like that then people maybe could understand it more and also I think what's really important within this conversation is to know that it's not a zero-sum game I think a real problem with a lot of people who are part of the hegemony standing up is they believe they're going to lose their place. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I just find that it's really important that we like repeat that. It's not like there's only X amount of spots left and, you know, I better keep my space in case somebody comes along, you know, like mm-hmm. that's not how it works. Asking for equality doesn't mean you push other people out. It's not, it's, it's just it, making the think- circle bigger. I think I think I think once again we can apply it to the same thing when it comes to like when you exist within a hierarchical structure you Mm -hmm. become you become protective of that because the structure depends on some people protecting literally their spot so if you have someone at the top like that like a friend of mine Bobo she was like, Jeff Bezos lives a scarcity mentality. He thinks mm-hmm. that in a, in, in a couple of days, he could be poor. Otherwise, mm-hmm. he wouldn't be so protective of his money. And yeah. so it's like, it, 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 the higher it up just... you go, it's almost like the more... Yeah. I, I was watching The Crown recently. And, mm-hmm. and one thing I realized from watching that program was like, 
oh my god there is more rules the higher mm-hmm. up you go there is yeah. more rules you are more controlled and you are more afraid of everything being taken away from you yeah. and that yeah. is that is a you know that isn't that's in your mind that's completely in your mind but it still feels very real so Mm -hmm. like uh, like I saw some criticism about people talking about Taylor Swift taking like a year to decide if she was going to put up a Twitter post but the girl was you know people were in her mind all the in her ear all the time telling her how this is going to ruin her career and she's not not Mm going to be able to do the things she wants to do so there's vested interests making sure that so some mm-hmm. people like individuals it shouldn't be up to individuals but like sometimes it is no. um no. to like make these decisions that they think is going to be catastrophic and even though that cat- catastrophe is all just like in your mind it mm-hmm. still feels very real to the individual so that that it becomes very difficult and and it cannot be either something that uh, individuals take down it has to be a community effort yeah yeah Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and that's why I always say, like, we have to move away from these vertical structures because Mm -hmm. they're just in every facet Mm -hmm. of life bad. They don't work. Um, And I think horizontal structures are just so much better, so much healthier uh, and for everybody concerned, you know. And I think, yeah, unfortunately, we live in a world where Jeff Bezos exists and Mm -hmm. and and that's definitely contributes to the idea of yeah fear that you know you could lose everything or or it has to be this way there's no other way you know like this is just the way it is this is almost there's people who genuinely believe that this is how nature intended it that it wasn't like constructed you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but i think like if you think about this in the context of artists for example you can there's even like small ways that you can do it already for example like if you look like a head like um a billing for a festival you could have an equal bill equally billed festival with all the names yeah. the same size just have them in alphabetical order mm-hmm. you know yeah that's like obviously not going to change the world but it's a step towards acknowledging that okay of course realistically there's people on this lineup who are going to sell tickets more than others like you know you can't really deny that um but it kind of, you know, psychologically gets you away from that idea of, you know, this top heavy kind of uh, structure. Oh, my God, um, you'd be so proud of me, Leticia, because I literally made a um, I put on a few nights in uh, um, when I was living in Asia. I put mm-hmm. on two nights and um, the structure of it was the people paid and everyone got paid the same. And mm-hmm. then, and everyone had to be paid, no matter if it was $2. I mean, the most we earned was $7 each, but there was like, you know, there was like 10 people there. And $7, yeah. like that's $7 that they got instead of going to the open mic night, which was mm-hmm. musicians come and play a music. And oh, look, it just so happens to be attracting loads of people that come, come to my bar. Look at that, mm. but I'm not going to pay you anything. Yeah, and I think I do. You think that, like, if someone was on a festival tomorrow, mm-hmm. is the desire to put on a festival in, like, the same as Electric Picnic, kind of holding some people back? Because I know in um in Cork they do a wonderful thing, which is the quarter block party, which yes, is that they yes. use the venues, and then that mm-hmm. is that takes care of a lot of like, you production know, costs yeah, 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 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, uh, like people may not know, but like production mm-hmm. costs for for even a gig, like I used to put on gigs in 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 where I was um, a manager and it would be like 300 bucks for for just one night for a speaker system, like a sound system. Yeah. So you're talking about a huge amount of overhead. So yeah. the person who's going to get pinched at the end of the day is mm-hmm. either it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. or the artist gets paid very little and I suppose that's where um that's where I'd like to get into a little bit now is mm-hmm. um that's the option that people have so imagine you know it's like you either get paid very little or not at all mm-hmm. and um how like when we're because uh, I wanted to come back kind of circle back to what that girl that you mentioned that was asked for a that was asked for um, her opinion about mm-hmm. that right wing guy. Can you explain a little bit, like, why are some people more vulnerable than others when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, being artists? Because I think um, I was watching A Star Is Born the other day. Mm-hmm. Love, love it, but also I hate it at the same time because I hate those like biopics. But um, it was the same with Bohemian Rhapsody, right? So he comes along and he's like um, Prince and, uh, not Prince, uh, Queen. They just like make the song Bohemian Rhapsody in about two minutes. And I realized all of these movies depict being an artist and making music as something that just arrives and it happens and it's easy. And it's one song after another. And I was like, imagine if this was a teacher movie and the teacher just points at a kid and he's able to read and he they do the alphabet one day and they're making Shakespeare sonnets the next it's just it really (laughs) (laughs) it really warps our perception of Mm -hmm. what 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 it takes to go from from picking up a guitar when maybe you're a teenager to standing on a stage um at a gig so can you can you kind of paint a picture or tell us about how, why some people are more uh, vulnerable than other people or, or how that, how that is, how that plays out in the music industry? Um, well, I suppose in the context of, um, you know, calling something out, for example, as we were talking about. Yeah, perfect example. Um, I think, uh, as I've said, like um, the majorities up to now, as far as I can tell, the majority of the 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 uh, the action of of um, telling people about uh, a situation or uh, you know shedding light on something that is bad that that has happened in the industry has been happening um, via women, via black women, via uh, you know trans women, trans men. Like it's not really coming from uh the hegemony if you want uh which is which is white men really mm-hmm. um straight in particular um and i guess in that context um what you will see happening is say a woman uh tomorrow calls out a man in the industry who's relatively powerful and said you know he did this it, it was you know some sort of abusive behavior it's very likely that she will be reprimanded in some way, shape or form, whether that's she won't get booked for a gig again or, you know, certain people won't work with her because 
maybe they have something they know that um, isn't right going on and they don't want to risk instead of you know maybe changing that thing they would rather just avoid you know booking that person who might hold them to account um so there's very real yeah. consequences for people who already are not necessarily taking up as much space as others um or able to take up as much space as others um in music um which basically results in even less space for them um which has a very real impact in terms of financial in terms of you know being able to live off of your art um which is already difficult anyway um and uh and i suppose you know there's also the idea of of mistrust um that goes in uh goes in there so um and even like competency starts to come up you know mm -hmm. like as responses to somebody saying this happened to me you know um people then start questioning their competency their trustworthiness you know as opposed mm -hmm. to trying to look at the other side it's almost like the first thing to do is question whether the person is being authentic as mm -hmm. opposed to going okay well this is like the millionth time we're hearing a story like this maybe there's actually a problem here mm -hmm. you know um so i think i can only speak for myself because i am a cis woman uh, so i cannot speak for other gender minorities and i cannot speak for other ethnicities but my experience is that whether it's in a situation where you're calling out bad behavior or holding somebody to account or just going about your business and trying to do your job there is uh in my opinion and uh, whether it's conscious or unconscious um sort of invisible barrier of um and anyone who knows me is going to roll their eyes when they hear me say this because i say it all the time um of say i arrive at a situation at the same time as a man with the same competencies same level of experience you know um very often the man is assumed to be competent until he proves otherwise whereas mm -hmm. i find my experience to be as i'm assumed to be incompetent until i prove otherwise right and you can say that for artists for for women artists and for you know other gender minority artists as well i i genuinely believe that in, particularly in terms of the creative process in studios when they find themselves with you know uh, men engineers or men sound engineers or technicians you know I, there's countless stories about how their gender was sort of uh used as a, a sort of a marker of their um ability and also you know there's a whole other realm of you know how how uh minority genders are sexualized um you know uh within the the music scene and how they can't get ahead because they're put into situations where they are being sort of taken advantage of you know Mm -hmm. there's so many you know like i said to you before the, the the conversation is almost endless there's so many different facets and aspects mm -hmm. um to kind of talk about um but i think it's also really important on the flip side to um as we've said to each other before to talk about how do we move forward you know how, mm -hmm. what can we do i don't want ever people to listen to a conversation like this and be like oh well i'm i'm just not going to bother you know i know yeah like it's hard it's difficult like it's it's important to me i like i'm personally a big believer in transparency and not putting this like glamorous sheen on what the reality is here mm -hmm. you know and mm -hmm. um, the reality is 
is not pretty. Um, there's some great things, you know, that come out of it. You know, culture is important. The arts are important uh, to me. They're like, you know, they're my lifeblood, you know. So mm. obviously I'm still here for a reason. But at the same time, the only way we're actually going to be able to make improvements and changes is if we state the truth, you yeah. know. And also yeah. state our own, you know, involvement in what has been wrong, you know, because we mm -hmm. are all to some degree complicit, you know. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it that like it, it is harder for some people to exist than others and some, mm -hmm. you know, in, in space, but also in, in this in the, in this space, but also in general space. I think maybe, you know, um, a disaster framework is a good way of looking at it here where mm -hmm. uh, I did a podcast on this recently where. Um, you can you can find out how how you can find you can look at a population of people and through the lens of identity like it's an it's an intersectional approach basically you know um, find how 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 vulnerable they are to um, negative impacts of uh, of a of a stressor in the environment. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose uh, looking at those which, of one of which is is gender and obviously um, other minority identities. Um, I mean, gender is oh yeah, you could say um, other yeah. minority identities is is a useful framework, but it mm -hmm. it doesn't. Um, how does how, how so it's good to name the problem? Okay, here is the problem. Mm -hmm. We have the problem. I think. Mm -hmm. um, I think. What I'm trying to do with this podcast is definitely trying to say to everyone, like, it's the same problem. <laughs> so that we're not having, you know, we're having different conversations, but I want to reiterate, it is the same. It's all the same. Mm -hmm. So yeah. like you can, you can apply this same conversation to, you know, I, I, I would, I would put it on race car driving acting mm -hmm. um even like being an accountant being a being a solicitor being an engineer anything where mm -hmm. it is a, a, do, a male dominated situation and even when it's female dominated it is mm -hmm. the same like take out the men and replace them with take out those white men and replace them with the white women because it's mm -hmm. the same it's yeah. the, it's still the same um Completely. structure so it's going mm -hmm. to it's going to replicate it's like fucking medusa yeah. but um what then are the what then are the um actually no i did want to talk about before we get onto this the mm -hmm. the because we we taught you touched on it briefly when it came to um people being um uh more if they're calling something out there has been um do do you want to talk a little bit about um, sexual violence and um, abusive culture within within the music mm -hmm. industry? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, it's it, again, name the problem. It's there, yeah. you know, like for sure. Um, I think I think even an, a person who goes to a club, you know, it doesn't even ha you don't even have to work mm -hmm. within the industry to know that it exists because it's happening even in audiences, you know, like it's not. Um, certainly not limited um and i think um again there's a big problem and i think in ireland if we're talking about ireland specifically i think the issue with tackling it um one of the roots of the issues is that we have a situation where 
the music scene here is relatively small if we compare ourselves to the UK, for example. Yeah. Um, which means that a lot more people know each other. Yeah. And um, a lot more people um, for the fears that we have discussed previously, whether it's the fears of people who are in a more, I say, let's say, structurally comfortable position um, or the fears of people who are in a much more minority position. Um, those uh, those things are not coming out, you know, they're mm-hmm. not coming out. And when they do, you know, the damage is already done. So you've got a kind of a dual situation where there's a lot of, uh, as I've previously called it, like open secrets, you know, mm-hmm. things that people know. Um, but those people who, 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 you know, the secrets are about, are essentially being protected or not called out or you know kind of people are just sort of willfully ignoring it you know Mm -hmm. um and then on the other hand you have a situation where people are sort of waiting for something to happen in order to say this is bad and that's not from my perspective as a woman um uh doesn't make me feel particularly safe Mm -hmm. um to wait like all I would be lovely to have all the support in the world but I'd rather have it uh, ahead of time and 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 prevent something from happening as opposed to waiting for something to happen and then having a pouring of support like it's pointless you know because Um, even when things happen there isn't an outpouring of support as we like from the right places yeah not from the places that would actually really be able to impact a change yeah, I think I think one thing that maybe we underestimate and that we learn in history, you know, you, you learn about all these atrocities that happen and you say, like, how did that happen? Why didn't people stop it? And then you mm-hmm. live through things like that. Such mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I can't really name anything in particular. I suppose like just general politics. Provision is exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um where and even the mother and baby homes um report that's come out is like people know and it's not it's not it's it's this silence that is it is the silence that it met with and not because people in general population want to be silent necessarily but because the consequences of not being silent of of speaking up puts you in a really vulnerable position and it's that vulnerability that people are very very afraid of and that's why the solution is community and unions rather than letting individuals trying to 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 um to also the solution is also political Mm -hmm. at a political level i think you know when you talk about things like direct provision and the mother and baby homes i i'm I'm a bit concerned about necessarily placing the onus on individuals just purely because there was obviously a political state responsibility there that was completely a failure you know mm-hmm. and the same goes for direct vision you know it's happening under our noses you know and it's deeply uncomfortable and uh, uncomfortable is like too is not strong a word enough to describe what's happening in direct vision it's 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 hellish yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. and to feel really as individuals like of course there are things that we can do but at the end of the day none of this is really going to fundamentally change until it changes at state level. That's the reality. So things like sexual violence, for example, until the state takes it to a serious level, 
where there is an absolute reform of the, the current judicial system where victims are not placed in under suspicion immediately and are not kind of, you know, re-traumatized. And, you know, when you see that the rates of conviction for, for sexual violence, of course, no one's coming forward, you know, like yeah. it's not working. So I think really in any sphere, we have to look at an approach that is uh, preventative, a proactive approach as opposed to waiting for things to happen and 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 in terms of people who have um some power or comfortability to come forward who know that they what they will do will have an impact i believe they should do it even mm -hmm. if it's a risk i i have relative power compared to a lot of people you know i'm a white woman so mm -hmm if I can do something, I want to do it, you know, yeah. and I will say it. And yeah, it's risky for me, but compared to some other people, it's, it's, it's nothing, yeah. you know, and yeah. we have to, I have to name that, you know, I have to admit that as well. And yeah. I also have to admit that might have not, I might not have always done it. And I understand that fear of speaking out and mm. what that will do to you. And yes, there are lots of things stacked against you, but that's it, because we have a structure that's hierarchical and vertical in a mm -hmm. lot of these areas that's unfortunately where the onus currently lies that can yeah. change but, yeah you know um i did interrupt you there when you were talking about um uh sexual violence and violence and uh, abuse within the industry and i wonder if you had know what that thought was and you want to if you want to continue it um but what is there really to say about it other than like it is the same as any other industry uh really it's just that potentially i feel like the veneer well, of you know progressiveness exists for mm -hmm. like maybe the arts rather yeah. than you don't have yeah. the same idea that like oh the arts are this abusive situation because mm -hmm. it's the arts you know mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. Well, I think uh, where it's probably even less, uh, even less safe, I suppose, compared to other industries, is that there is no structure. There's no HR. Like, no, I'm not mm -hmm. saying that HR is like always going to be like a make, but there isn't even really a central place for an artist to go. You know, yeah, um, it's quite a wild west in that in that sense, and there's no real framework there. So, uh, so an organizational framework, if you want. Now, those organizational frameworks, as they stand in other industries, I understand are not necessarily so effective, but there's a starting point, whereas yeah. here you don't even have that. So I think accountability is very, it's, it's where, you know, how does it work? How does accountability actually work? You know, uh, when there isn't really even a framework <clears throat> for reporting, um or you know kind of acknowledging you know like it's yeah it's i think from that perspective it's harder um and uh all i can really say is like you know it, we can only do what we have in our own power like mm -hmm. from my side we um we have uh, actually recently it's conversations that we have a lot already obviously and you know if there was ever a situation where there was a venue or a promoter that we knew had there was a history of you know bad behavior it doesn't even have to be going as far as sexual and um, we would 
either not work with them again or if the artist you know wasn't aware we would make the artist aware this is the situation you know you need to know this before you go into that situation if you choose to go into that situation um and we've recently implemented a um a sort of a safety a, a kind of a, an inclusion and safety um kind of a contract essentially that we're sending to promoters to say that you know we expect it's 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 more of an expectation as opposed to we, we can't like legally enforce it obviously mm-hmm. but uh we expect you to do what is your responsibility to do to keep your venue safe to train your staff to include security which i think is incredibly important um, because often they're not on the same page um and you know to have a zero tolerance towards racism sexism homophobia transphobia ableism anything that could oppress anybody in that space yeah um, yeah. and we are doing that with uh, with actually with a group of other um independent agencies we've kind of formed a bit of a collective together throughout mm-hmm. this pandemic and that's one of the things that we're doing to try because you know we all kind of have a similar feeling and we we all really want to do what we can collectively to advocate for you know uh, just a generally fairer um scene and uh, whether that's to do with pay whether that's to do with safety inclusion diversity um sustainability um and we figure you know if we're going to do it we may as well do it with as many of us as possible yeah. um so and i think the more and i think one of the ways to do that is to have a sort of a shared agreement so that the more people have this agreement the more promoters are receiving it the more they get used to seeing it you know and it becomes hopefully a little bit like step by step more normalized so you know if anybody wanted to see that agreement i would be happy to share it if they mm-hmm. were going to use it you know what i mean and, yeah like and open source open source exactly yeah, yeah. that's yeah. interesting um yeah I suppose you kind of have to in the absence of a regulator you have to um you have to uh uh start somewhere and yeah. you know the minister for trees and the Gaeltacht and the arts and mm-hmm. um my living room and guitar strings and you know three other million things that they're responsible for aren't mm-hmm. really taking the arts seriously under the cur- current administration um and what kind of is there any is there any um is there any things that you see that are are that are coming from government and from, from politics that um are that you're excited about or that you yes, think are going to be really good yes there is something i'm excited about cautiously excited about because uh, it wouldn't be the government i had voted for mm-hmm. but um uh so give us a night um is a campaign which if anyone's not familiar which has been running for quite a long time um and has sort of started to kind of build momentum over the last few years and the um they are working to essentially modernize uh nighttime culture by way of modernizing licensing laws Ooh. um which in our country are archaic to say the least they, yeah. they date back to the dance halls act which i think is from like the 30s which was kind of initially put in place to curb jazz and music events which in itself sounds racist to me but um well uh, yeah it was it was it, i ha- i read something about this recently it's because jazz music encouraged 
<clears throat> encouraged you wild to dancing. wild dancing and yeah. it was very more sexual and not as structured yeah. so yeah, yeah because of that yeah yeah so um so anyway uh the the momentum that has built over the last three years has included um Sunil Sharp who, who kind of has spearheaded the campaign uh being invited to be part of the nighttime economy task force which was set uh, put together by I think it was Catherine Martin um, and um, with a view to uh, a long, a fairly long consultancy process, uh, research process in which um, they, which will culminate in a report of recommendations, which is due to come out soon, I think, about how we can modernize um, our nighttime culture here. Mm -hmm. And I actually was personally part of the stakeholder um, consultation myself. Um, I presented um, a piece with a colleague of mine about um, the importance of uh, gender equality within uh, electronic music from the sense of if you get uh, more girls and gender minorities involved in learning music production and DJing skills, that there is a direct um skill transfer uh, for stem stem jobs um so wow. we did a piece on that which is really long so i won't get into it now <laughs> um but it was a really interesting process it was really interesting to see how that how they are working on the inside um and um from what i know there's there is actual political will <laughs> for the first time to uh, change licensing laws from what I understand the Minister for Justice is has said that they in the next th two to three years will will uh, change the legislation for licensing laws I'm not sure how set in stone that is so um, I might need to be corrected on that but I'm pretty sure that's the case um, and uh, a big other part of Give Us the Night uh, was uh, Kind of discussing the lack of cultural spaces and the demise of cultural spaces over the last 10 to 20 years in Ireland um, which have been replaced by uh, famously hotels and student accommodation and office blocks um, and that is another facet of uh, equality where essentially the lack of cultural spaces again has a direct impact on people who already have barriers to entry. Yeah. Because what happens is if you have a much smaller concentra concentration of venues with limited hours, um, who are very risk averse because they have licensing, uh, they have to pay a license fee for later licenses and stuff like that for clubs. Um, mm. And so you're just, it's just another way to just keep the status quo moving. All the same people get booked, no room for innovation, no room for scenes to grow, for new uh, scenes to develop. Um, and indeed to include spaces that are safe for everybody because unfortunately what happens as well very often within uh, I guess more mainstream venues which is what we mo mostly have in Ireland um, there's a huge lack of I guess alternative spaces for want of a better phrase mm -hmm. is you have spaces that are more often than not not safe for everybody um, and which don't do the work of ensuring that those spaces are safe. And that's why these alternative spaces come up, but they have much less security in terms of tenancy, in terms of what they can do because the spaces they're using are obviously, you know, what they can get their hands on. 
Um, so there's, again, so many different knock-on effects, but I, uh, to answer your question, I am excited about the prospect of that. There's been actual steps taken here. Yeah. And uh, so I've listened a lot to what Sunil has had to say on the subject. And he said, you know, it really feels like there is something different happening here because this is the first time, you know, we're actually being listened to and not having the door closed on us um, by the people who actually can make the changes. Yes. Um, and he's been doing it for quite some time. So I really hope that um, that in the next whatever uh, period of time that it, it can happen, it will happen. And I hope that I know that Sunil has also advocated for a pilot testing scheme mm. um, to sort of test various different um, ways of organizing the nighttime culture. I don't like calling it economy because I feel like that goes back to the idea that it, yeah. it doesn't have inherent value unless it's making money. And I think that's part of our problem as well. So, but that's what they're calling it, the nighttime economy. So yeah, two <laughs> points, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? Like, I mean, I don't understand. I don't know too much about Helen McEntees, who's the Minister for Justice mm -hmm. Politics. I just seen what she has done so far. And I've been like, so happy with a lot of it now there's some things i'm not happy with but like she's also a Fine Gael td i don't understand how she's a Fine Gael td maybe she actually wanted to do some good and yeah. they they put her in there because they were like oh a female minister for justice mm -hmm. i don't know like i think it's been a great move and it's been mm -hmm. the one of the 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 sole great things about mm -hmm. um this uh this government I, yeah. I don't think people really are paying attention too much to it because it's overshadowed by a lot, a lot, but like, yeah. and what she's doing is not actually like revolutionary or anything, mm -hmm. but the fact mm -hmm. it's like, it's like you're there with the crumbs. You're like the fact that you are doing it is mm -hmm. enough. Like just thank, you know, like you shouldn't even be saying thank you, but it's like when you've been banging your head up against a wall for so for long, sure you're just like thank you for relieving me of the pain which is the wall um yeah. but totally. yeah I have to say though it's important I think like there's obviously a, a huge lack of uh women representation mm -hmm. and indeed different ethnic minority representation in in government right now but there are some amazing progressive women in government mm -hmm. you know like we've got you know uh Lynn Ruan, Breed Smith mm -hmm. um Catherine Connolly is amazing uh, Holly Kearns, Eileen Flynn was the first traveler woman to to be elected to the Senate. You know, like yeah. there's women there who are doing amazing things, mm -hmm. um, but they need more backing. So uh, if if there was one thing I could say about what we can do moving forward is like actually make sure that you're voting and and also that you're talking to your you know political your tds or councillors or whoever it is you have any access well you've got access to all of them but they're very easy to contact whether they'll reply is another question but holly um, kern is actually my td i'm her constituent oh, is she? Yeah, oh, yeah i'm that's right west court yeah, yeah i'm in west court Amazing. yeah down at the farm Aww. um but yeah she's like I actually had to stop sending her emails because I was like, <laughs> I don't even need to send her emails. Yeah. She all like it's the first she's, time. She's I so felt proactive that. as well. I'm getting emails like before something happens. She's like, just to inform you, this is about to happen. You know, because a lot of the stuff that I email TDs about is usually on either women's issues or direct revision is something mm -hmm. I email about a lot. Um, 
uh, and obviously the mother and baby homes report recently that was you know pretty horrifying what was going mm-hmm. on with that and um, but I've noticed now I just get I just get emails like for updates this is what happened in the doll today this is what you can yeah. do like yeah you know yeah. but you know what if I could like take this opportunity to encourage people to become political if they are if they like I think my my personal disposition just would not I wouldn't hold up like I wouldn't hold up as well as as well as some people but if you think mm-hmm. you could hold up I think um I would encourage women to do it I just I I am just too I I'm too sensitive I think I mm. I get too I'm too impatient to be involved mm. in politics yeah. but I think if you are someone who has that kind of like ability to to stick with it to stick with something then I yeah. think that's really it, it's great that really is needed for that job I feel like yeah being able to take being disappointed or failing again and again but just being like no determination of like okay no mm. this is what we're going to do and yeah they can say no yeah they can say no but that's just the process I personally mm. would just fly off the handle and be a national <laughs> disgrace <exactly> the same. <laughs> I wouldn't be yeah, able no. to like do the diplomatic thing I wouldn't no. I also am very no. sensitive yeah. And I remember some I remember hearing some journalist, I think it was Owen Jones in the UK, he was asked, like, why don't you get into politics? And he's like, because I want to be able to give my opinion without, yeah. you know, a reprimand. I want to be as open and honest as possible. And I can't do that in politics. And it's true. Like, and mm-hmm. that's sad as well. Like, although I think there's a bit more room for that, like at times. But um, but yeah, I'm the same. I, I don't think I have the the yeah the what's the word the, Di- yeah the self-control yeah, self-control. <laughs> yeah. no my mom always said to me you'd be a great guard I was like mom why because she'd rather thinks- be a politician than a guard <laughs> yeah she, she was just like she thinks I'm an authoritarian you see and I am oh, an authoritarian you see that is the that is the issue like that's why I wouldn't go near power because I am authoritarian I have okay. an authoritarian streak in me that like because I'm like, this is what needs to be done. Yeah. And this is the most equal. But actually, you have to like, that's why politics and like society fucks me up because I'm like, listen, this is clearly the best way to do. This is a benefit of everyone. But you can't like your <laughs> it just your, doesn't work like that. No. If you impose it, people can't like they will react in the opposite mm. way because that you have mm-hmm. to, it has to come from the inside out. So my yeah my like very yeah I just I couldn't if it don't ever let me go near power unless it's an apocalypse and then I'll be like the benevolent dictator because I'll I'll be like it's okay I know what to do but like other than that yeah unless that's very honest of you to say that because I think um I think that that a lot of people are like that but they wouldn't necessarily admit it um I think yeah. maybe in certain spheres I could be a bit like that but I, I think it's more out of a frustration that the world is actually really chaotic and order is actually very difficult to achieve and when I say order I know that's probably a bit of a dirty word because it sounds a bit like a right-wing idea but I mean order in terms of like being able to sequence things you know mm-hmm. and create a system in a way that's like linear but like and then you know I think I, I don't know about you but I feel like I was socialized growing up that things should be 
linear and should mm. happen in a, in a in a very for sure you know like sequential manner and that has actually been very detrimental to me as an adult in certain ways because it's absolutely not going to work that way no. and it's very hard to unlearn that urge to want things to happen in a certain way yeah um, and 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 as you said like if you're impatient as well mm. so you're impatient as well as you're like kind of like maybe I don't want to say like for me I'm a little bit myopic sometimes but mm-hmm. I I try to I'm myopic in the sense that like this is the way I see things and I want I want like I I also understand so many other points of views but I'm like no this is how it is but I'm also <laughs> I yeah, also I it's so it's not easy to change my mind but I will change my mind very easily if I've been mm-hmm. proven wrong but the reason I say that like I, I, I'm authoritarian is because I believe that everybody is and yeah. like I have seen from my own from my own I have seen from my own behavior when I have had in the past maybe when I was a teenager when I was a manager mm-hmm. I have seen how that has affected how I treat people or Mm -hmm. even what things I will like sneakily get away with or justify myself justify to myself like um Mm -hmm. I won't give you examples (laughs) but of like you know some things that like maybe I have been like oh yeah that's okay I can have that because I do so much work right for Mm -hmm. instance Mm -hmm. um when I was younger I would have done that a few times and I like I think it's interesting because it's like there's nothing check if there's nothing checking me in that Mm. instance and I'm that's only a small thing Mm. then what's checking me higher up so like if I went into a hierarchical structure that Mm -hmm. gave me power I don't know if I could necessarily um not succumb to that so that's why wow I think that you have to have a structure that is like that is it is is regulating of itself Mm. and keeps an eye on itself that's why one of the things I would love to if I was to get into government the first thing I would do would be like okay we're setting up a transparency website where you're able Mm. to see where every single euro goes because I Mm -hmm. need people to watch me in case I start like (laughs) taking (laughs) you know what I mean amazing but I got what you mean yeah you know what I mean because it's like yeah I'd like I don't know Bernie Sanders I mean Bernie Sanders did it and I think other politicians have done it and Mm -hmm. they have done it but what they have done is very deliberately denied themselves and I think you can do it and maybe I'm 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 um I'm not giving myself to the benefit of the doubt because of all the therapy and all the things that I've Mm -hmm. been to but Mm -hmm. like Bernie Sanders for instance he makes sure that he kept a small house he made sure that he drives a little Fiat Punto kind of car he -hmm. made sure that he didn't get into like luxury and it's so it's a self-imposing I suppose a community as well um Mm -hmm. a thing that kept him in check um I don't know I feel like I'd probably run away with myself so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I think you're under maybe estimating the power of what your self-awareness is though because mm. I think having that self-awareness about aspects of your personality or your behavior and being able to almost foresee I feel like in that situation I might be this way I think it probably would um uh in a sense act as a as a as a protection if you want from mm. going down that road because you have a self-awareness about it you understand your beha- you understand you obviously understand yourself quite well mm-hmm. so 
yeah, I think that's that's actually something that people I think could can use well in every facet of life, but like even in this you know whole area of of music is is self awareness, like knowing what you're doing, yeah. and like knowing what your behavior means and who it affects, uh, mm-hmm. and being able to adjust it uh, can make a lot of difference to a lot of people as well. Yeah, and I think yeah, bringing that back, yeah, that self awareness thing is really important when when you're in a space in a like if you're in a space in the music industry for instance if you're listening to this and you are and you notice like there's no women here then Mm -hmm. you might start asking questions as to why not um Mm -hmm. and it's the first thing I ask myself when I see an all-male space Mm -hmm. like and I think it's really important as well you know like people always go but like what's the difference like what was if there's an all-women space or an all-queer space well, the reason why that I'm not really advocating for a separating everybody at all, but I think the reason the separation exists is because they are trying to create their own safe spaces because mm-hmm. they don't exist in combination really right now. So, you know, that's why I ask myself if I see an all man, you know, collective or I do go, I do go, is there any women involved? And like, why aren't we seeing them, you know? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. is there, you know, any other gender minorities involved? Like not just cis women. Obviously, this includes all, you know, uh, uh, the diverse genders. But um, yeah, I think it's a, an important question to ask. And I think it's it, once you become aware of it, you you really start to see it everywhere. Like as soon as you become, uh, you wake up to this stuff. You know, like I wasn't always. I didn't always know about all of this, you know, I didn't, oh, I, I absolutely had a privilege as a white woman to sort of, you know, uh, ignore a lot of things or not be aware of a lot of things. And then, you know, once I started working in music, that's, uh, it actually was a little bit before that even, you know, I started noticing all these things. And of, of course, the first things I noticed were things that affected me. Um, yeah. Uh, and then eventually, you know, I started to get deeper and deeper into it. And that's it. Once you know, you can't unknow and you you will start seeing things everywhere and you, you'll probably start getting angry. <laughs> yes. And that's actually a great point. Like once you know, you can't unknow. The only mm-hmm. way you can know and not act is that if you know and you're in denial so sometimes people know but they're in denial for a really long time and they'll continue doing things that benefit them so like Mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's I mean yeah I mean uh, part of it I think I'm not I don't want to uh, excuse bad behavior but I do think that part of denial is is uh is is people trying to protect themselves mm -hmm. you know um now whether that's for good or for bad is another conversation but uh there's a lot of willful ignorance and again I hate to go back to it but that you know again doesn't happen in a vacuum uh it all comes down to what's happening in the greater society um and if you have willful ignorance going on at the higher echelons of society for want of a better phrase then it's obviously going to be everywhere you know um so and and that's again why it's important to have these conversations because we have to all shake each other up and go it's time to be uncomfortable now and it's you know like we're not going to change anything by just sitting around you know even after this conversation like we it can't just be a conversation you know we have to actually do things yeah I suppose I just wanted to ask you then what um besides as we mentioned you know collapsing and dismantling global capitalism what are the um 
what um as what can I as a listener do? Which, by the way, I uh, became a Patreon of Dublin, D- Dublin Digital Radio last week. Oh, brilliant! Well, that's yeah. one. That's a really you've just given me my first example. <laughs> yeah, um, I think if you want to actually directly impact uh, the community that's either in your local community or within the wider country that that you know kind of uh, encompasses your community. A direct way to do that is actually become a patron or whatever version of subscription service to um, to community organizations such as Dublin Digital Radio. And, you know, the more uh, support that they get, the more that they can do. And Mm -hmm. um, they actually have a section on their website now. um, I think it's up. I actually just I'm just going to check what I'm talking to because I don't want to misguide people. which uh, talks about um, their guiding principles. Mm-hmm. So you can go on there on the DDR website. It's in the about section. I'm just looking at it now. And it gives you an outline of what DDR is about, what they believe in. And if you believe in that too, and you want to see more of that, the way you can actually directly affect that happening is by supporting them mm-hmm. just for, you know, with a few quid a month, but, you know, it doesn't even have to be very much. Yeah. Um, so I think that's one way is to participate in your community uh, as much as you can and support local initiatives that you believe are of value. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think another one, obviously, is to to lobby your government. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are bigger things at play here. Obviously, we have imminently the idea of these uh, the legislation to to uh, modernize our, our licensing laws. They will benefit all of us, in my opinion, um, uh, and in particular in terms of like cultural spaces um, lobbying your government and opposing buildings, the building of or replacing of cultural spaces with buildings that don't have any cultural value. Mm-hmm. That is very important as well, because, you know, looking at cultural spaces not just about the nighttime you know you can use those spaces for multi-purpose reasons throughout the day as well there's a lot that can come from 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 a cultural space it's a place that you can organize you know it's a place where you can um you know do 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 make initiatives for the community uh, it's not just about coming together and dancing and hedonism which by the way i believe is an incredibly important thing as well mm-hmm. um so uh, I, I think that, yeah, that the best way that you can directly make an impact is to support things that are happening in your community and in particular um, speak to your elected officials in your area um, about your concerns with relation to a lack of spaces um, for culture. And I guess um, I think I brought this up before and I'm talking about Sunil again, but like I think he's a great example. Um, he talks about to try and make an equivalence for people who maybe have less of an insight into this uh, about the importance of cultural spaces. He uses the idea of uh, GAA clubs. Obviously, most, if not every community in Ireland has a GAA club and it's a community hub. You know, it's a very, very important uh, route in a community. And he said, imagine they started taking those community centres away. Yeah. What would that mean for that community? And it's the same, you know, it is actually the same because what what the positive impact a sports club can have on an individual and indeed a group, you know, it's immense. It's a huge, huge thing. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly the same 
for all of the reasons that we've discussed in terms of people who don't have other spaces where they're accepted and feel safe to be themselves or you know where we have you know a less uh, progressive venues that that use their spaces for for multiple reasons that create you know studios for artists to work in in the day at an affordable rate you know like there's lots of different reasons why these cultural spaces are important if not the biggest reason which is to have the broadest possible spectrum of a cultural offering in a country which historically has been amazing in the arts you know mm. and we sh we shouldn't lose that and we shouldn't let uh, a neoliberal 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 excuse me government mm -hmm. try and sanitize what we have which really feels as like what's been happening over the last number of years um uh we we have to hold on to that because otherwise you know it's just what what's what are we here for what are we doing except for yeah. working and sleeping and eating you know like yeah so yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's what I would suggest for people. Yeah. So if not your money, then your time. So yes. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, even putting like, on a, yeah, yeah. Like on, just going. Sorry, going to going to uh, you know local gigs and yeah. you know try and be curious about something that you don't know as well. You know, like I know as you were saying, like you know there is a great comfort in going to what you know in music, and I'm one hundred percent fall under that as well in my own way. Um, but you'd be surprised you know like maybe just go out in the limb once and just go to something different that you wouldn't be normally used to going to and see how it feels and see if it's something that you want to explore more because it, you again will have a direct impact on someone by doing that on a so that's like someone who's a listener and i like yeah when we were taught you you touched on it earlier as well if you're a musician get involved with a um union. with a union um and i asked you the last time you know if you were a if you were a budding musician and you wanted to, you don't want to get famous. You just want to like enjoy music and play and like maybe put out a few songs and get a little bit of a, a you know, maybe do a few gigs or whatever. What, what mm -hmm. kind of steps would you take in order to realize that? Because I think it can be, if you're not involved in the space from a, from a younger age, especially it can be very like, oh, well, that's for those people not mm -hmm. for not for me what would you recommend um i think um a concept that is sometimes brought up is um the concept of seniors which is about basically moving away from an individual you know because i think a lot of people have this idea of being a musician or an artist um mm. uh, sort of very much tied into being a brand mm -hmm. and i think moving away from that is quite important um especially in the context of you're just you know you're not like trying to be a superstar but maybe you have ambitions to go to a certain level <clears throat> i think relying on a, a community to help give you the space to grow and to experiment and to try things and to record and whatever is essential an essential mm. starting point um i don't love social media but obviously one positive aspect of social media is you know, once you start to build a community and um, maybe you can then start to build it outside of your geographical, you know, location by, you know, having a bit of a, a, a presence on online and whatever fashion that feels kind of comfortable for you. Um, and I think getting involved in a radio station like DDR is, is actually a really, really good idea because mm -hmm. um, a lot of the people that listen to DDR um, 
so, you know, some are obviously people who have their own shows, uh, some not, but um, there's such uh, an atmosphere of support um, within that structure uh, in terms of like anybody who's releasing music that is, you know, either just a member of DDR or a resident or whatever, um, people will play it. They will play mm. it. Um, and uh, that's pretty across the board in my experience. There's real, there is a real hunger to support people within the music scene in Ireland. And mm. that that's across the board, whatever your involvement is with DDR from listener to, you know, uh, to DJ or whatever. Um, and I think that's a really great way as well to build community, to get people to know you. And, um, you know, like DDR, I believe has influenced then you know, beyond um, uh, just being a community radio station, you know, um, and uh, and that influence can, you know, can get you uh, some recognition elsewhere as well. But I yeah. think really what you, the, your, the foundation really should be to seek to be part of a community that you know is going to champion you, that's going to support you, that's going to you know uh, play your music and you know like whatever about mainstream radio I don't say I'm not saying don't go near it but I think starting on community radio where there's less barriers um if you know like for example I do uh, this show once a month and I I don't check anything like I just say to people if you want to have a slot um you know it's open to women trans women non-binary people trans men um, you know, all sort of gender minorities, um, uh, come up, just give me an email, like, give me an idea of what you want to do. And that's it. I'm not going to question anything else. I'm not checking your SoundCloud, or even if you have a SoundCloud, mm -hmm. I'm not checking anything. I just go with, go do what you want to do. And the results of that are always amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm always just like, wow, this is so good, you know? And I think giving people that free reign really helps to, um, from a creative point of view, if you're an artist, giving someone a kind of a carte blanche to just go, go, you you know, you're trusted, just go do what you want, um, is is an amazing way to build as an artist. And I think that DDR is a great place to do that. And a lot of other community radio stations would be, I would assume, quite similar mm -hmm. because they're not commercially driven. Um, so with a commercially driven station, obviously they have particular goals they have to achieve you know, whereas here we have a much more uh, open kind of uh, policy, I guess, for want of a better phrase. So I think, yeah, uh, finding community is really important because as an artist, I think it's really important to know that as you were touching on earlier on, it's not something just happens like that. You don't just like, well, maybe some people do write a song in two minutes, but the general progress uh, progression of an artist is slow and it takes time and it should take time yeah you know I mean um, for sure you can write a song in two minutes like I'm that of, of course but I'm just like, like and I'm it's sure like, some people are great at it it's yeah you can write a song but that like you can write a song in two minutes but it's not going to be the finished product in two minutes no. you know what I mean I where it's, it's like very important as well to to note that that should never be a benchmark you know like that that uh there's 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 a billion different ways to uh to go through a creative process and there's mm -hmm. no one that's better than the other or you know right or wrong um uh but i do believe in taking your time and giving yourself space to grow and try things and um and you know 
on a broader scale, obviously we need um, cultural spaces to exist for that reason too, you know, for artists to be able to comfortably um, develop. Um, and that also will include the idea of, um, you know, a universal basic income, which I think is something that's been spoken about as well for artists, although I think it's in very early infancy. Um, uh, but that is also another thing that you have to consider if you if you want to go down that road is, you know, can, can, will you be supported financially? Yeah. Um, because it's not a given. Um, yeah. So and even, you know, like. This is why I don't I, this is why like rent and all, like everything is so connected, because, you know, yeah. if you're an artist and you're living on say if you're just living on the dole, with, you know, that that becomes impeded by. um skyrocketing rents when like that won't that won't cover those costs so Mm -hmm. that's why that's also you know artists cannot be I don't I feel like nothing is not political because I feel like absolutely oh it's it's political like to to like it's completely it's you cannot separate the two in my opinion because even on that point of you know artists I, I don't even believe it should be the dole. I feel like they should get an income and it's an mm-hmm. income that's livable, not survivable, but livable. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why, another reason why that feels like such a pipe dream is because the majority of people who are in the decision-making positions in politics don't come from that world. Mm-hmm. So they don't understand. And that's again, another reason why we need more different types of people from different, particularly socioeconomic backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, you know, gender, all of that, because those people, a lot of the people, a lot of the men, obviously it's mostly men really in power. I mean, how many women have you seen talking to the to the public throughout this COVID crisis to give announcements? It's like none, zero. Like, and so, they, they brought out know. this study last week that showed that women under 30 are the, le- are the least likely to take the vaccine. And I was like, mm. it's almost like having... A men talking at you for an mm. entire year about 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 like something that doesn't make you try you know makes mm-hmm. you zone out and and, and you're, you're not going to listen so yeah I mean but I think as well the lack of of diversity of backgrounds in the government you know also and, and a sort of of course a complete misunderstanding or or a, non-empathy for people outside of their own world which mm-hmm. is obviously very obvious and a lot of the policy that's going around with whether it's with housing or social welfare or whatever is you know it breeds so much contempt as well you mm-hmm. know so for example Simon Harris the other day saying that students were just lying in bed collecting you yeah. know collecting social welfare like you and that's, are and that's a very similar it's a very very similar sentiment to artists as well it's just yes. like if you're not working your arse off to make money for someone else you're lazy and you should there should be the absolute utmost contempt for you in society you know okay I think um that was a very different conversation I think that we had the first time around yeah um which I'm glad to up to because I was thinking like oh we'll just we'll just trying to recreate that first conversation that first conversation was such a great conversation but at the end of the day it's better just to like to have a new one and and, and explore new new territory so that was good mm-hmm. and I think we did t- touch on a lot of the same points as well I don't yeah. know if there was anything that you remember like oh yeah I wanted to make sure to say that so um, um 
just in terms of joining a union and um, mm. because I do feel there's something there are, there definitely feels like there's an atmosphere of much more of an interest in joining a union just yes, kind of across the board for sure. yeah um, and I know there's not that many unions that are really for artists like solely um, but there's a new enough union that has started in Ireland called Praxis P-R-A-X-I-S um, which I would encourage you if you're an artist to at least you know kind of look into and see if it's something you'd like to join mm-hmm. I think that they are, have a very promising um, kind of manifesto and um, they just recently uh, launched an initiative along with the Arts Council to kind of help um, I guess demystify the whole process of um, applying for Arts Council funding and as well kind of shed light on the fact that applying for Arts Council funding can be a job in itself. And if you don't get the funding, you've just basically done work for nothing. You I know? saw that it takes like 85 hours yeah, to complete. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. Oh my God. Well, I've, I've done one recently for, for something else. And it is it's a, an incredibly frustrating process. And all the more so uh, because it is quite elitist. It does kind of come with the assumption that you have a certain level of education um or background and I don't think it's a fair way to really um spread funding out equally uh, mm-hmm. and you know if you look at recipients of fundings or funding over the years you can sort of see where it's going and where it's not going um so I think joining a union I just wanted to give people an actual example of one praxis is is one that I know about personally um and uh yeah if uh people wanted to ask any more questions you can find me on on Twitter um, at www.irl and on Instagram uh, at www underscore IRL. And if you want to do a show, you're also welcome to contact me. Yes, I would highly recommend. It's very fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to do my second one. So we'll have to discuss some times and yes, days. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I'll be yeah. in touch. I'm going to actually start opening up some um, some slots again soon. So I'll, yeah, I'll definitely be in touch. Yeah, sweet. I have some. I have about four songs already in my head. So some surprising ones. I think it's so fun to do because it's like, um, I don't know. I just love giving the stories behind something because a lot yeah. of times I won't be able to engage I actually, I, I like, I know a lot of people with music are, you know, they feel it and they're like, oh, wow, this, the feeling of the song is great. But often it takes for me to have a context for a mm-hmm. song to actually read it because I don't know, my brain won't concentrate. Like I can't, I don't know. It's yeah, uh, no, I get yeah. you. I get yeah. you. It's your, it's your way of doing it. Like, with yes. This, you know, yeah. Totally, it's my totally process. Fair. Yes. um okay thank you so much for um the conversation today Leticia and we will definitely have recorded this one properly um (laughs) and thank you so much for coming on again you're very generous to give your time um yeah yeah and sure we'll be in touch and uh all the rest of it so thank you so much brilliant thank you Christina Bye.
Thank you.